Good evening, good evening. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. It's good to get to be able to be together, take some time, prayer, come before the Lord, get in his word. It's pretty beautiful, you know, and I was thinking about that when it's like we start this and it's like, how is everybody doing? But to think about the blessing that we get and the fact that we can still, at this time, freely meet and freely study the word and come together. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, who you are, and the chance to be in your house, Lord. We do not take for granted the chance to be here, to study your word, to commune with you, Lord, and to seek to know you more, Father. Lord, we pray for Pastor David as he is away. Continue to bless his time there, Lord. Continue to just use him, protect him with your health, Father God, your strength, your mercy, your wisdom, your discernment, all that he needs to do what you have him doing while he is there, Lord, and be preparing the hearts and minds and souls of those hearing, Lord, and making sure that each soul that you need there is present for each of those teachings, Father God, that you bring the right conviction and refining to those who know you and you bring the right conviction and refining to those who don't know you that they would come to call you their Savior, Lord. And we ask you to also be with Michelle, Father God. Thank you for her sacrifice, Lord God, to... Just give so much of her husband to um, service, Lord, and, and to fulfilling the call that you've given in his life, Lord. So we thank you for that. And Lord, I just ask that you be with me now as I go forth to bring forth your word, Lord, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we are going to do an exploration on the life of Stephen. So we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. But before... We begin looking at those verses. There's just a few things to note. So first, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, it's, you can look at it almost, it's, it's a continuation of the gospel of Luke. It's written by Luke. Luke was a physician and historian that detailed the records of everything that was told to him, everything that he saw himself. And it's said to be written between AD 60 to AD 69. We know not AD 70. Why? because there's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's a historical sequel to the Gospels. Acts is the book that is powerful to look at as a church because it shows and we see the Holy Spirit establishing the church. Luke joined Paul on his later missionary journeys. And that's further proved, if you look at Acts 16.10, there's something kind of cool that starts to happen because you're going to see the pronoun shift from they to we. And it stays like that to the end of the book. So that's something special just to note. And another thing about Luke is he wrote Luke and Acts, and it's the only two books that we get in the New Testament written by a Gentile, which is also interesting when we look at the context of Stephen's life and then Saul and the gospel going forth to Jews and Gentiles. Acts' theme is seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in establishing the church and using his servants to preach the gospel. Some often cite the verse that really captures this book is Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Quoting Luke chapter 24 there. The book of Acts is written to Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Well, we don't fully know, but 
Tradition points to him being a wealthy, well-off Roman official who perhaps purchased Luke's freedom. Some say it may be a pseudonym to protect him. But when we look at the meaning of that name, Theophilus, it means lover of God. So we can see this letter, we can see this epistle of Acts as a book, a letter written to all lovers of God. So we have to start there tonight. Are you a lover of God? Now, when you hear that, you might say, yes, yes, I am. But I really want you to think, slow down and think for a moment, truly, am I a lover of God? And if you don't know him, I pray that you do come to know him tonight. And if you do know him, I pray that you think a little bit more about that word love. Let's look really quick at 1 Corinthians 13. We all know this when love comes up. It's, it's at weddings. It's everywhere. We hear this. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. When we look at what love is, love stretches us. Would you agree? It stretches, it's intense, it requires a lot. And when we look at Stephen, he is definitely a true lover of God. He loves God to give his life unto God. He loves God to serve God. He loves God to preach the gospel. He loves God, the title I gave this message, even unto death. So let's look at the verses we're going to look at. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes as the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Father God, be with us as we delve into these verses. Lord, help me, Father God. Holy Spirit, fill me that the words that come out of my mouth would be only you. Use me as your vessel to bless your people. Father God, help us all to be focused on you and you alone that we would receive the manna you have for us this night to continue this race for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dig in, we got to figure out, how did Stephen get to this place? How did Stephen get to this moment, this snapshot that we just see? How did he arrive to the point of serving Christ, even unto death? 
So we first hear of Stephen in Acts 6, verse 5. And they, uh, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So we back up a little bit. Why are they choosing? What's going on here? Verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of the Lord and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In this context, we see seven men being called to serve. The Hellenists were Jews who practiced the Grecian culture rather than Orthodox Judaism. And the deacons are being chosen to serve the tables. And I want to point out the value and importance of these men doing that. It's a valued and important task. It's still valued and very important. And they're allowing for there to be the time and the space that the apostles can then focus on the preaching of the word. They can focus and prepare and preach and study and then Share God's truth. So when we look at that, we have to realize that it's an important lesson for us at the church to aid those called to preach, to aid them so they can pray, they can study, they can prepare. And notice the focus is the ministry of what? The word. They aren't studying how to get your church to thousands. They aren't studying how to do a marketing ad so that people come to your church. They aren't studying how to do social justice so that everybody feels great about themselves. They aren't feeling how to be seeker-friendly and please the people. They're just studying and focused on the word. And that's an important lesson for the church because more and more today, the church looks like a social club more than a place of reverence, awe, and study of our king. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He's being called to this deacon-type position And he has important qualifications that he has to have. And when we look in Paul's epistles, we get all of the different qualifications in the different areas of ministry. Stephen knew God. Stephen believed in Jesus. He's full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He's called and he delves in. And he's fulfilling the highest calling in his life. Wherever God calls you, whatever God has you doing, that's the highest calling in your life. And you've got to approach it that way. You've got to delve into it that way. Are you full of faith? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? In Hebrews 11.1, we learn, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when we look at the rest of that chapter in Hebrews 11, as many theologians call it, the hall of faith, it's countless moments of people who trusted God, believed in him, even when it didn't make sense, even when they couldn't see it. We all say Christ will return and rapture his church. Do you believe that? Truly? Or do you doubt it? Do you rise up early? Do you rise up, maybe late, it doesn't have to be early, each day 
and pray for his return. And in the meantime, do you ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you, give you the power that you can do what he has you called to do on that day? And then do you hit repeat the next day? The next day, eagerly awaiting the return of our Savior, but running the race in service until he comes. Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. The church today, in my opinion, ignores the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's pushed out. He's pushed out altogether, or they abuse and misrepresent the Holy Spirit. We kind of got those, those two things going, and they stray from the order that's clearly laid out in Scripture of how the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is. John 14, we get a reminder of who, who is this Holy Spirit. Who is he? John 14, verses 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. Notice where it starts, the talk of the Holy Spirit. It starts with submission to God. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit's our helper, our comforter, our teacher. Do you pray for God to have the Holy Spirit pour down over you? The Holy Spirit isn't a spark, by the way, of someone hitting you on the head and the Holy Spirit's in me. No, that's not it. It's not running around and murmur and it's not gobbledygook screaming and all these different things. The Holy Spirit's here. We're all screaming like cuckoo people. No, how dare we insult the helper that our Savior provides to be in us in such a way? But do you commune with the Holy Spirit? Do you say, Holy Spirit, be in me. Fill me up with your presence. Help me discern your word. Help me grow to be who you need me to be. Are you full of faith? Are you full of the Spirit? In Acts 6, as we keep going, in verses 8 through 14, we're going to learn a little bit more about Stephen. Let's read. And Stephen... Full of faith and power. Why is he full of faith and power? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do his will. I'm tired. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your grace. Lord, fill me that I can do what you need me to do. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then... There arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, 
This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Look at the purity that he's seen in that moment. They see his face as a face of an angel, yet they're still bearing false witness. They're still coming after him. And we're going to look at that a little bit later and, I, and see that real portrait of the spiritual battle that's going on there. But for Stephen, he's at the center of God's will. When you're at the center of God's will and you're unashamed of doing what he's calling you to do, you have pure faith. And you're in a place where you're abiding in Christ. And when you're abiding in Christ, his spirit is indwelling and filling you up. And he'll empower you and strengthen you with his word, with his presence. And John 14 says, that spirit stays with us forever. When we look at this, what's happening here, in verse 10, they can't deny the presence of God in his life. Yet, they want him down and they want to plot against him. Stephen fulfills John 15, 20. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And church, that's a reality for us today. And in the face of persecution, we have two answers. We can crumble, wave the flag, I surrender, you have it, go, take it. Or we can acquiesce to that pain, the heat that persecution brings on. Wave the flag. Or, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power, act as Stephen does in chapter 7. And we're going to look at that, and this is a little bit of a big chunk, but I want you to take a moment, and I want you to just hear Stephen's sermon. The guy called to serve the tables is so filled with the Spirit that God says, hey, I got to do more with you right now because he's obedient. He's in the center. He's surrendered. So note takers, I'm a note taker myself. This is a hard thing. Put the pens and paper down. And I want you to just take a moment and I want you to just listen. Imagine right now, we're going we're, we're gonna to have pretend time. Imagine that you're there. The high priests are present before him and hearing what he says. Because the high priest said, are these things so? Are these things so? Are all the blasphemies that they just said, are you really doing all those things? Look at his response. Just listen. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. 
and the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God. And after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king who arose, who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in the father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, and after he had shown wondrous signs, and in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness, 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who is in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. 
And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Malach and the star of your god, Repham, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Truth. Stephen gives truth. In the moment of persecution, in the moment of the heat, he doesn't say, I think da-da-da for the men at the men's conference. He doesn't say, I feel. He doesn't say, I, 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 I wonder if maybe, no. He just gives truth. Stephen called to serve tables is called by God to preach, to proclaim truth. When we obey God's will, he's going to bring us to greater depths and boldness we could ever imagine. Not prosperity boldness, folks. I'm not telling you God's going to give you a brand new car. No, he's going to give you trials and persecution and the strength to stand strong. Amen? That's what he's going to do. So in these verses... Stephen is giving them a full snapshot of the Old Testament history. It's quite beautiful. A full snapshot. And let's talk about being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Because I can't imagine. He just boom, 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 boom. Goes through that full history. God equips him to do it in such a way that then challenges them to think about things they may have not thought of before. He challenges them to think about the fact that God has never confined himself to one place, the temple, as you try to say. And you try to confine God's presence to only in the temple. He points them to realize, hey, we as the Jewish people, there's, the, well, not him because he's, uh, Stephen, sorry, yes, he is. I'm thinking Luke, the author. But realizing that as Jewish people, we have the example through Moses of the bad habit of rejecting who God sends. Dare you reject Jesus, who he sent for the ultimate deliverance? So when you look at this, you see how Stephen defends himself and makes it all about him. No, you don't. He doesn't at all. 
He doesn't put anything in here. I want us to notice that. And the persecution, he leaves himself out. Is there anything in that about Stephen? No, it's just truth and putting forth the hopes that they will see Christ. If death were knocking at your door through persecution, would that be your response? If you were in the heat of persecution, is your response just going to be truth? Or is it going to be, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Before we go there, I just, I, I, I got to go finish this thing. Or, whoa, 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 but what about my family? I have my family. And I'm not diminishing those things. But when we're really living with an eternal perspective and truly surrendered and filled with his presence and a lover of God like Stephen, in that moment of true heat persecution, I pray that the truth be the only thing that comes out. Are you full of faith? Are you leaning on the Holy Spirit? Right at the onset of that chapter, in verses 2 through 5, Stephen makes it clear the temple's not necessary for God's glory to be revealed. He speaks to God giving no child or inheritance, but of trusting in God. Stephen makes it clear that faith is the key. Faith from a relationship with God. Faith of creation, not works that religion points to, but faith in the God of creation. In Joseph's example, verse 9, Stephen reminds the people God was with him. And Joseph, that sister, if you look, we looked at the life of Joseph at the men's conference. God was with him. God was with him. And he's able to say to them, what you thought was going to be bad, God was the one who sent me here for this. It's a true Romans 8, 28 moment. God was with him because he believed, because he was full of faith. Moses is used to help them see how they rejected Jesus. Moses, a child with God's hand on him since birth. Can we say the same about Jesus? Moses, who left the throne to go see his brethren. Can we say the same about Jesus? Israel rejects Moses and creates their own man-made objects of worship. Were they rejecting Jesus and going with their own customs and laws? Stephen shares a powerful message to say, God isn't confined to the temple and faith is key. And then he closes by calling them stiff-necked, as Israel's called in places like Exodus 32.9, and uncircumcised, as Israel is called in places like Jeremiah 9.26. He calls them out with stiff-necked. That's a phrase you'll see in the Old Testament around 20 times, depends on what translation you use, from God to Israel. Stephen leaves no blows. He calls the people what they are. How will you, and notice I say how will you, not how would you, how will you be when persecution comes to you? Will you stand for truth as Stephen does? We just had the Live Not By Lies conference. Was that just something you attended? It was a really good time. We learned a lot. We got a lot. Or are you still praying and asking the Lord, how do I prepare? What do you need for me to do in this time? Saints, you need to remember, he has us here for a reason. God could have had us in this room alive at any other time. We could, have all, we could all be Victorian and I could have a puffy collar. 
It could be all these different times, but he has us here now. So now we finally get to our focus verses for tonight. That was a little long delve in there. But persecution's gonna come. And yes, we get saved, we have the rapture, There's, we're saved from the great tribulation, but we would be fools not to think it's gonna get worse before the rapture. And I'm not trying to be mean, but we're being foolish if we think it's not gonna get worse. So wake up, knock it off, and realize we need to prepare ourselves. In our world today, we have laws where happening in countries where preaching Romans 1 can get you arrested. We have God removed from classrooms, removed from schools. We have churches being attacked if they don't have a BLM and pride flag out to get everybody excited. How will you stand? Let's look at Stephen. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's pure rage. Now, these are men who are prominent, successful religious leaders. It would basically be like senators or politicians today grinding their teeth with rage. Ironic. It makes me think of a video I saw of a president with red lights all around him screaming. Jesus warns in Matthew 8, 12, alluding to hell, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These religious men are servants of darkness, not God. We must be real. It's a duality. It's God or not God. There's no gray. I'm sorry. If gray is your favorite color, it doesn't exist in the Bible. Despite their aggression, despite their violence, we read in verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, there's that important helper, there's that comforter, the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The text doesn't make it clear if this is a visual that's happening right there, if it's something that he's just seeing, but it's clear to Stephen and it's clear Jesus' presence is there and we are used to seeing Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. But in this moment, we get Jesus standing. Every word of scripture is important at the right hand of God. Jesus stands in solidarity of his servant who is in obedience to his will. Matthew 10, 32 reads, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. I think we can agree Stephen confessed Jesus. Can we agree on that? And Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father on his behalf. And it's verse 56, and he says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of his presence, and now he sees him standing right there. Verse 57, how do they react? Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. The anger presses on. They scream. They cover their ears to avoid truth. Makes me think of our culture today. Let's cancel truth. Let's remove truth. Let's censor truth. Let's get rid of everything. The spirit of God is not in them. And Ephesians 6, 
tells us it's a what? Spiritual battle. When I look at this moment, I almost picture like Stephen's there and he's got a whole legion in the spiritual realm of God's angels before him. And then you've got this legion of darkness and they're combating. And this is such an important picture for us of how real spiritual warfare is. Because you hear this, they're stopping their ears. I don't want to hear any more of this truth. I don't want that. And what do they do? They ran to him. The Greek word there is hormeo. Youth is studying Mark. We looked at that word in Mark 5.13 when the swine ran off the cliff. That's the same Greek word we're hitting there. Those swine, remember, they were then possessed when they ran off. The spiritual realm is real. And it furthers that image of the spiritual battle. Then what happens? Verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They ignore Roman law and the process that should be taking place. And they do the traditional Jewish custom. They take matters into their own hands. In a second century Jewish writing, Mishnah, the practice of stoning is described as follows. When the trial is finished, the man convicted is brought out to be stoned. When ten cubits from the place of stoning, they say to him, Confess, for it is custom of all to be put to death to make confession. And everyone who confesses has a share in the age to come. Four cubits from the place of stoning, the criminal is stripped. The drop from the place of stoning was twice the height of a man. One of the witnesses pushes the criminal from behind so that he falls face downward. He's then turned over on his back. If he dies from the fall, this is sufficient. If not, the second witness takes a stone and drops it on his heart. If this causes death, that is sufficient. If not, he's stoned by the congregation of Israel. That's the process. Now, what's interesting here, their rage doesn't even have them go through the process. They're not even going through the the custom to the T. And what do they do? The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of of a young man named Saul. We know Saul. Saul becomes who? Paul. Saul's there this whole time. Saul's there seeing all of this. Saul's there hearing Stephen. They stone Stephen. Can you picture that? Rocks thrown at you, even unto death. He doesn't say, ow. We see no account of ow. We see no account of stop. We see no account of anger. Because he doesn't give up Christ. He doesn't give up the God that called him to this moment. And instead, he calls on God. I'm coming home, and he capitalizes I feel like in that moment that, okay, they're raged. They're not doing this all by the T. I'm going to even kneel and pray to my God because that's what we read he does. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I have to be honest while I was studying that. I was like, dude, I love Jesus, but I, I don't know that I'm there yet that if somebody's stoning me to death, I'm going to be like, 
Forgive them, Father. They're stoning me. It's beautiful. I'm not there yet. Fully honest. I love Jesus, but I don't know. I, I need to be in prayer for more of his presence in my life that I could get to that place. He prays as Jesus did in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He fell asleep. Why is the word asleep used? Because for the saints of Christ, when we die, we do go to sleep, and then we take our next breath before our awesome heavenly Father. So that's why when you look, it's sleep, because we, we are called to everlasting life. And Saul's there, and he prays, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Boy, is Acts 9 a unique answer to that prayer. When we look at Saul's conversion, how will you face persecution? Are you ready even unto death? Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? That's Luke 9, starting in verse 23. Even unto death isn't just about being willing to die. Christ. Yes, some are called to die for the gospel's sake. And we have Christians that are persecuted around the world getting killed for the gospel's sake. But my question to you, before you ponder that, are you dying daily to self to serve Christ? Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen was full of faith that's the fruit of dying to self, to be able to be used by God daily. Do you rise and die to self, or are you holding on to what you want? Is your day more about him or more about me? Are there things that God wants you to give up? I'm a mature believer. I've been a believer for years. Great, I say that question again. Are there things that God wants you to give up? Are there people that God wants you to separate from for a season? Are there things going on when you're alone, but you're never alone, he's with you and watching that you need to shift or that you need to change? Is your mind the mind of me or the mind of Philippians 2, the humble servant of Christ? Are you a lover of God, even unto death? Death to self to serve him. And if you check, yeah, yeah, I'm there. Are you full of faith? Do you need to go to God and say, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief? Be honest with God. Don't think, okay, well, I have to have it all right, and I need to do the right thing and come to church and say the right thing and do the right and check in all the boxes. I'm a Christian. Stop it. If there's doubt, Go before God. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help me 
Look at scripture. There's countless stories of people who tarry with God for belief, for their faith. Get in your prayer closet. Go before him. Seek him out. And lastly, how are you in the Holy Spirit? How are you in the Holy Spirit? Do you pray for his leading and guidance? Do you ask him to illuminate scripture as you read in your study time? Do you start your study time with prayer? Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Holy Spirit, give me understanding of what I'm reading. Holy Spirit, give me the pace you want me to read. If there's something he wants you to slow down that the Lord needs you to, to refine you, do you dwell in relationship with the helper he's given? Do you ask him to fill you with strength to be a lover of God? What does it mean to be a lover of God? John 14, 15. If you love me, you keep my commandments. To love God is to obey God. All of him. Every part of it. No one's perfect. But when I read Stephen's story, I pray that if today there was a big edict if you get together as a church, you will be arrested. I pray that I would still text everyone, be like, I'm still going, so see you guys, and they're probably tracking this now, so if I get arrested, let's have a goodbye. That's what I want. I'm, I'm ready for that. I'll take that. But that's the reality of persecution we need to look at, church. Stephen stood for Christ, and it ended in his death. Sometimes when we stand for Christ, we will have to face the results in our lives. It might be imprisonment. It might be ridicule. It might be ostracization from people. It might be removal from areas. But the question is, are you willing? Are you a lover of God even unto death? Death to self and death to whatever he says that's got to go. Death to convenience and comforts. If it gets hard to worship, if it gets hard to study your Bible, will you still do it? And will you still, even unto death itself? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Stephen's example, Lord. We thank you for an example of proclaiming truth unto the end, Lord. And Father, most importantly, an example to look unto the hope to come of eternity with you, Lord. Father, to see how Stephen looked up and was just seeing you standing at the right hand of God. Lord, that we would look up and look to where we're going, Lord. And that, Lord, when the persecution comes, we would stand strong with the hope of eternity with you. That we wouldn't blink an eye at the suffering, we wouldn't blink an eye at the persecution, Lord, but we would run to you, Father God. Lord, we pray for anybody who doesn't know you, that they would run to you, that this would be the time where they say, I surrender, I come before you, I want you, I want to be able to have the power of you to do what you need me to do. And Lord, I pray that each and every single one of us can search our hearts, can take that time to go before you, Lord, and say, Father, what must go? What must I crucify? That I could be more like you, that I could follow you, that I could live your will in my life. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you're a God of forgiveness. Thank you that you're a God of grace and mercy. And thank you that you're a God who is always in control. In Jesus' name, amen.